Welcome to CII's podcast, The Voice of Corporate Governance. While this podcast is open to the public, the majority of our work is only accessible to current CII member organizations. If you would like information on becoming a member of CII, please visit our website at cii.org or contact our Director of Membership, Melissa Fader, with her email, melissa at cii.org. Thank you for listening and enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Council of Institutional Investors podcast on corporate governance and capital markets regulation. I'm Jeff Mahoney, General Counsel of CII. The purpose of these monthly episodes is to update CII members and general public on significant developments in U.S. corporate governance and capital market legislation and regulation and CII's related advocacy activities. This update covers the period from January 4th to January 31st. 2022. The following is my top 10 list of significant events over that time period. Number 10. On January 14th, United States Senators Jack Reed of Rhode Island and Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts sent a letter to the Director of the Office of Financial Research, Dino Falaschetti. The letter expresses concern that the Office of Financial Research is not taking the steps needed to fill data gaps regarding ongoing and emerging sources of risk to U.S. financial stability, including those identified in its 2021 annual report relating to cybersecurity, climate change, digital assets, edge funds, and other leveraged asset managers. Noting that the Office of Financial Research's recently published report identified several important areas that warrant much greater attention from regulators, the senators expressed concern that it did not clearly articulate how the Office of Financial Research itself would use its statutory powers to help address these risks. And the letter also argues that the Office of Financial Research has the proper tools and has identified clear and compelling cases to make use of those tools consistent with the agency's mandate from Congress. Accordingly, given the importance of quality data to make sound public policy decisions, the senators inquire whether the Office of Financial Research plans to collect data on a number of items, including the following three. One, on exposures, sources of funding, and other potential areas of risk related to private funds and family offices. Two, on third-party service providers to financial institutions such as cloud service providers that provide services critical to performing core consumer functions like deposit taking and securities brokerage, and three, data from stable coin issuers on the assets backing their stable coins. Number nine, on July 11th, the United States Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs held a hearing to consider the renomination of Jerome H. Powell to be chairman of the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System, noting that President Biden renominated Chair Powell to grow the economy for all Americans and to protect that growth from threats to our financial system like risky Wall Street schemes, crypto bubbles, and increasing climate disasters. Banking Committee Chairman Sherrod Brown of Ohio argued that Mr. Powell has shown the leadership to do so and said lawmakers expect Mr. Powell to take what he has promised will be bold steps to tackle risk related to digital assets and climate change. 
although expressed concern that the Federal Reserve's accommodative monetary policy and asset purchases continue to distort markets, risk asset bubbles, and punish savers, Banking Committee Ranking Member Patrick Toomey of Pennsylvania said he intends to vote in favor of extending Chair Powell's chairmanship because of his record of acting thoughtfully and constructively, especially in difficult circumstances, and implementing a number of modest, sensible reforms that reduced regulatory burdens and helped spur economic growth. Asked whether the Federal Reserve intends to follow the recommendations outlined in the Financial Stability Oversight Council's recently published report on climate-related financial risk, including the implementation of climate stress tests for the biggest banks, Chair Powell said the Fed is looking at climate stress tests and said it's very likely that climate stress scenarios will be a key tool going forward. Chair Powell emphasized, however, that climate scenario analysis is a very different exercise from the regular stress tests, which affect capital requirements. And Chair Powell said at this stage, climate stress scenarios are really about assuring that the large financial institutions understand all the risks that may be inherent in their business model regarding climate change over time. Number eight, on January 24th, in a speech at Northwestern University, United States Securities Exchange Commission Chair Gary Gensler discussed the commission's efforts to improve the overall cybersecurity posture and resiliency of the financial sector. Chair Gensler argued that the SEC has the opportunity to freshen up its regulatory systems compliance and integrity, or so-called Reg SCI, to further shore up the cyber hygiene of important financial entities. Observing that a lot has changed in the eight years since the SEC adopted Reg SCI, Chair Gensler said he has asked staff to evaluate how the SEC might broaden and deepen the rule. Chair Gensler suggested that the commission consider applying Reg SCI to other large significant entities it doesn't currently cover, such as the largest market makers and broker dealers. With respect to a broader group of financial sector registrants, including investment companies and broker dealers, beyond those covered by Reg SCI, Chair Gensler indicated he's also asked staff to draft recommendations intended to strengthen registrants cybersecurity hygiene and incident reporting, taking into consideration guidance issued by the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Arguing that disclosure regimes evolve over the decades and stressing that cybersecurity is an emerging risk with which public issuers increasingly must contend, Chair Gensler also indicated that he's asked the staff for recommendations about whether and how to update companies' disclosures to investors when cyber events have occurred. Chair Gensler stressed, however, that public companies already have certain obligations when it comes to cybersecurity disclosures and that failure to make accurate disclosures of cybersecurity incidents and risks can result in enforcement actions. Noting that service providers not registered with the SEC often play critical roles within the financial sector, Chair Gensler also indicated that he's asked the staff to craft recommendations intended to address cybersecurity risk that comes from service providers and said that this could include holding registrants accountable for service providers' cybersecurity measures with respect to protecting against inappropriate access 
and investor information. Number seven, on January 10th, Senator Patrick Toomey of Pennsylvania, the ranking member of the United States Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, Urban Affairs, and Representative Patrick McHenry of North Carolina, the ranking member of the United States House of Representatives Committee on Financial Services, sent a joint letter to United States Securities Exchange Commission Chair Gary Gensler. The joint letter asked Chair Gensler to immediately extend all comment periods for the SEC's proposed rules of significance to at least 60 days, including reopening the comment filing for those rulemakings with shorter comment periods that have closed prematurely. The joint letter also specifically requests that Chair Gensler extend the comment period on the SEC's money market fund rule revisions to at least a 90-day comment period. Lawmakers argue in the letter that truncated comment periods harm the quality of public comment and may run afoul of the Administrative Procedure Act. The senators point to two recent SEC proposals that provide 60-day comment periods, three proposals that provide 45-day comment periods, and six proposals that provide 30-day comment periods. Additionally, the senators note that several of the proposals with shorter comment periods coincide with federal holidays, yet do not allow extra days in light of those holidays. Number six, on January 19th, addressing the Exchequer Club of Washington, D.C., United States Securities and Exchange Commission Chair Gary Gensler outlined guiding principles intended to ensure the SEC's regulatory framework remains dynamic in light of market developments and technological innovation Chair Gensler argued that the commission must drive efficiency in our capital markets and modernize its rules for today's economy and technologies. Noting that the SEC must consider efficiency, competition, and capital formation, in addition to investor protection in the public interest when promulgating regulations, Chair Gensler stressed that if used correctly, these tools can lead to greater productivity and lower economic rents. Chair Gensler stated he has directed staff to craft recommendations up and down the capital markets about how the commission can drive towards greater efficiency through competition and transparency. Although Chair Gensler acknowledged that regulators don't know the exact cost of doing business with private equity and hedge funds, he asserted that there may be around $250 billion in fees and expenses levied each year. And Chair Gensler argued that if the SEC can use its authorities to bring greater transparency and competition into that market, that helps portfolio companies on the one hand and the pensions and endowments that are investing in that space on the other. Notably, Chair Gensler reported that the SEC staff is working hard on proposals regarding climate risk and human capital disclosures, and that the commission will seek public comment on those releases when they and his fellow commissioners think they're ready. Chair Gensler stressed that the process is intentionally flexible and designed to get the proposals right based upon the economic analysis of the SEC's legal authorities and learning from public feedback. Chair Gensler also noted that federal agencies are allowed by law to limit comment periods to 30 days, which the SEC has done in some cases. He explained, quote, that's because it's really important to get the public feedback but it's also really important to move on, unquote. Number five, on January 26th, the United States Securities Exchange Commission proposed amendments to form PF, 
that would require private equity and hedge fund advisors to make new, more timely filings to the SEC following certain significant events. Currently formed PF, which the SEC adopted in 2011, is filed by private equity funds and large hedge funds on an annual quarterly basis with a 60-day time lag. Form PF provides the commission, but not the public, with information such as net assets, borrowings, and derivative holdings. The proposed changes would require large hedge funds to file reports within one business day after certain extraordinary investment losses, significant margin and counterparty default events, material changes in prime broker relationships, changes in unencumbered cash, operations events, and events associated with withdrawals and redemptions. Private equity fund advisors would be required to file reports one business day after the execution of advisor-led secondary transactions, implementation of general partner or limited partner clawbacks, removal of a fund's general partner, termination of a fund's investment period, or termination of a fund. The SEC indicated the proposal is intended to allow it and the Federal Stability Oversight Council to receive more timely information about events that may signal the stress at qualifying hedge funds and private equity funds or in the overall market. The SEC is also proposing to reduce the reporting threshold for large private equity fund advisors from $2 billion to $1.5 billion in fund assets under management. Other proposed amendments to form PF would provide private equity funds with more information about the use of leverage and portfolio company financings, controlled portfolio companies, borrowings, fund investments in different levels of a single portfolio company's capital structure, and portfolio company restructurings or recapitalizations. SEC Chair Gary Gensler noted that since the adoption of Form PF, the private fund industry has grown to a net asset value of $11 trillion and evolved in terms of business practices, complexity of fund structures, and investment strategies and exposures. After a decade of analyzing the information provided in the form, the SEC and the Financial Stability Oversight Council have identified significant information gaps and situations where they could benefit from additional information. Commissioner Hester Peirce was the only SEC commissioner who did not support the proposed amendments. Commissioner Peirce said merely citing gaps in data is not enough and that the SEC's desire to fill those gaps was born out of curiosity, not necessity. Other proposed amendments the commission approved for public comment on January 26 would expand oversight of some trading platforms that match buyers and sellers of U.S. Treasury securities. Commissioner Hester Peirce did not vote for those amendments either, expressing concern that the 30-day comment period is far too short. Commissioner Peirce said, I could have voted for this proposal had the commission provided a period long enough to enable market participants and others to engage in a considered analysis of the proposed rules and their likely consequences. And Commissioner Peirce suggested that 90 days would have been a more appropriate comment period. Number four, on January 19th, the United States Securities Exchange Commission updated its guidance on the presentation of shareholder proposals and annual meetings in light of COVID. Exchange Act Rule 14A-8H requires shareholder proponents or their representatives to appear and present their proposals at annual meetings in person. 
It also specifies that if a proponent fails to attend a company's annual meeting to present a proposal, the company may exclude that proponent's proposals for the next two calendar years. As a result of the COVID-related difficulties that shareholder proponents may encounter when trying to attend annual meetings to present their proposals, the SEC staff is encouraging companies to the extent feasible under state law to provide proponents or their representatives with the ability to present their proposals through alternative means such as by telephone. SEC staff also is clarifying that if a proponent is not able to present a proposal due to the inability to travel or other hardships related to COVID, the SEC would consider this to be good cause and would not prevent the proponent from presenting proposals at meetings held in the following two calendar years. Number three, the United States Securities and Exchange Commission announced that it is seeking candidates for appointment to its Investor Advisory Committee. Members of the public interested in serving on the committee are instructed to promptly email a letter of interest with applicable information about their relevant experience. Number two, on January 27th, the United States Securities Exchange Commission reopened the comment period for rules originally proposed in 2015 to implement Section 953A of the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act of 2010. That section requires companies to disclose information about the relationship between actual executive pay as reported in the proxy and company performance as represented by total shareholder return. Legislative history of Section 953A indicates that the provision was derived in part from the testimony of then Council of Institutional Investors, Executive Director, Ann Yerger. In June 2009, June 2009, testimony before the Subcommittee on Securities, Insurance, and Investment of the Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs of the United States Senate, Ms. Yerger stated, of primary concern to the Council is full and clear disclosure of executive pay. As U.S. Supreme Court Justice Louis Brandeis noted, sunlight is the best disinfectant. Ms. Yerger noted that transparency of executive pay enables shareholders to evaluate the performance of the Compensation Committee and Board in setting executive pay, to assess pay for performance links, and to optimize their role of overseeing executive compensation through such means as proxy voting. Ms. Yerger also stated that we believe the disclosure regime in the U.S would be substantially improved if companies would have to disclose the quantitative measures used to determine incentive pay. Ms. Yerger also stated that we believe the disclosure regime in the U.S. would be substantially improved if companies would have to disclose the quantitative measures used to determine executive pay. Ms. Yerger explained that such a disclosure would eliminate a major impediment to the market's ability to analyze and understand executive compensation programs and to appropriately respond. In reopening the comment period, the SEC indicated that it's seeking comment on the 2015 proposal, as well as on proposed additional requirements set forth in the reopening release. The SEC indicated that in light of the regulatory and market developments since 2015, it is now considering whether to require companies to disclose the following four items. One, 
additional performance measures beyond total shareholder return. Two, pre-tax net income. Three, the measure that in the company's assessment represents the most important performance measure used to link compensation actually paid during the fiscal year to company performance. And four, a tabular list of a company's five most important performance measures used to determine compensation actually paid. SEC Chair Gary Gensler said that in this reopening release, we are considering whether additional performance metrics would better reflect Congress's intention in the Dodd-Frank Act and would provide shareholders with information they need to evaluate a company's executive compensation policies. The Dodd-Frank Act directs the SEC to adopt a rule requiring companies to show the relationship between executive compensation actually paid and the financial performance of the issuer taking into account stock prices and dividends. SEC Commissioner Hester Peirce cast the sole dissenting vote in the reopening of the comment period. Commissioner Peirce said that instead of fixing critical shortcomings of the 2015 proposing release, the reopening release doubles down on a flawed proposal and raises the prospect of additional disclosure requirements. And the number one most significant development in U.S. corporate governance and capital market regulation for the period from January 4th to January 31st, 2022, occurred on January 31st, which represents the effective date of the United States Securities and Exchange Commission's final rules approved in November 2021, requiring universal proxies in contested elections for seats on public company boards. The origin of the new rules dates back to a 2014 Council of Institutional Investors rulemaking petition that reflected CII's member-approved policy endorsing universal proxy cards in contested elections at U.S. public companies. After filing the petition, CII drafted more than 20 letters and testimony in support of universal proxies, and CII was referenced more than two dozen times in the SEC's final rule. Under the new final rules, universal proxy cards must include all director nominees presented by management and shareholders for election at shareholder meetings held after August 31st, 2022. To facilitate the use of these cards, the commission amended the current proxy rules so each side can list the other side's director candidates. The new rules also prohibit companies that have not adopted a true majority vote standard from including an against voting option on their proxy card because such votes have no legal effect. Companies that use a plurality standard must indicate a withhold option and disclose the treatment and effect of this vote in the election. CII had pressed the SEC on this mislabeling since 2015 when it submitted a rulemaking petition on this specific matter. That concludes my monthly corporate governance and capital markets update. If you have any questions regarding any of the issues discussed, please feel free to email me at jeff, J-E-F-F, at C-I-I dot O-R-G. Till next time, I'm Jeff Mahoney. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Voice of Corporate Governance, brought to you by the Council of Institutional Investors. 
The Voice of Corporate Governance is a free, non-sponsored podcast that highlights critical developments in corporate governance and other important issues affecting institutional investors. The views expressed by those interviewed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CII or its members. For more information on CII and its policies on corporate governance, please visit our website at www.cii.org.